Welcome to Checking In, a Lodging DEI chat. I am your studio host, Oren Stewart. Thank you all for joining us today. Stay tuned. We have a great episode in store for you. We'll be right back. Once again, thank you for joining us here and checking in. I'm Orrin Stewart, your studio host. Now let's introduce our host of the show, Miranda Kitterlin Lynch and Mr. Leon Thomas. How are you all? Good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Yes, indeed. Good to see hey. you all. Orrin, Miranda, Happy New Year. The band is back after what? Back. Three weeks off. We're back. Yes, Yay. we are. Yes, we are. So excited to start off the new year with an amazing episode. You all have a good show today. Thank you. Thank you, Orrin. Miranda, what's happening? Good. Give me give me some good news. It's been a while since we've done an episode of checking in a lodging DEI chat. What's happening? Good. I know. I haven't seen you since last year. Ha ha ha. Huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll start off with a dad joke. <laughs> All good things are happening. I just got back from the graduate uh, conference for um, students studying hospitality and tourism in California. It was amazing. I had three professors come up to me to give us compliments about the show. So that was pretty cool. People are listening. People want to be on. That list yeah. keeps growing. Oh, that's good to hear. Right on. Good, good feedback. Thanks for telling me. Of course. Thanks for telling me that. Yeah. You know, during the the holiday season, I had some relatives um, that talked about their travel experiences. And of course, because I'm a hotel guy, kind of used to work in hotels, work in the industry, everyone comes to me with their problems. You know, <laughs> first, first it was, do you know anybody that can get me a room? <laughs> right. You know, you, you get that. And it's like, now, nah, sorry, I really don't kind of work in the business anymore. And oh, by the way, you're my relative. And it's the only time you call me when you want a room. Right. So <laughs> we go get that. And then the second part is we had a problem. What do I do? What do mm -hmm. I do? I'm like, nah, I can't. I don't, I don't get involved in that. Sorry, I can't help <laughs> you. So that's the hotel connection to my holiday time. Gotcha. But also, as you know, and many of our viewers know, I run a racquetball program, a youth racquetball program in Baltimore. And we're up to 32 kids now playing racquetball. They had a tournament in early December and um, did well. And then we had some racquetball try it out days. Uh, go on during the break. So that's what I did during my time away. I think that's so cool. And I'm so glad that you had such an awesome event, such a good turnout. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It was a, it was a lot of fun. If you'd like to learn more about that racquetball program, here's the email address. I'm sorry, the website, it's racquetball revival, racquetballrevival.com. So Miranda, here we are. This is episode number 16. Yes, 16. <laughs> Who thunk? Who knew? And it all started just a couple of years ago with a message on LinkedIn. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> message on, on LinkedIn. And, and here we are. So we have uh, Lan Elliott, our, our guest with us today. Miranda, go ahead and introduce Lan, and then we'll get our great conversation started. Started with her. I've been looking forward to meeting her. 
Yes, Lan is amazing. I'm so fortunate to know her. And when you look on LinkedIn, she has so many titles because she is so incredible, but I'm just going to pick two to introduce her today. Lan is a board director and principal interview host for DEI Advisors. She is also a co-chair and advisory board member for Castellet College, an AHLA foundation project. All right, right on. Let's bring Lan in to join the conversation. Hey, Lan, how you doing? Hi, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. So, Lan, you're in the, you're in the hospitality business. How many calls did you get during the holidays saying, hook me up with a room and what do I do if there's a problem? Does this happen to you too? <laughs> I think they've learned to stop asking. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. And, and Miranda, what, what about you? You, you've been in hospitality education. You've worked in hospitality. You have folks that work in that, you know, that are former students, those that are in your network. What about you? Do you get calls from friends and family saying, yo, hook me up. Do you get that call? You know, I used to, and now that I have kids, I just keep my ringer off. So if you ever call from, if you have an emergency, don't call me because I'm not going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Not for you. Wow. Right on. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Lan, thanks so much for, for spending time with us here at Checking In, a Lodging DEI Chat. Looking forward to, to learning more about you and the great work that, that you're doing. Thank you. I'm, I'm really honored to be asked to be on here. I've obviously watched the show and I'm a big admirer of both you and Miranda for, for some time now. So I'm really glad to be on to speak with you. Thank right, you thank so you. much. So I've read out a couple of your titles to our listeners, but I was wondering, there may be some people out there that are not familiar with Castellet College or mm -hmm. with DEI Advisors, although I highly doubt that because DEI Advisors has taken off and congratulations on that success. Mm -hmm. uh, but if someone were to approach you and just say, hey, who are you and what do you do? What would you tell them? I would say I wear a lot of hats, uh, but the two things I'm spending most of my time on right now are uh, DEI Advisors and Castell at College. So I'll start with DEI Advisors, which is the more recent thing, uh, which we launched in June of last year. And we uh, are a nonprofit that was founded by David Kong, the former CEO of Best Western. And it's David Kong, Rachel Humphrey, who was the former COO of AHOA. Um, and the three of us do interviews with industry leaders and other professionals like you, Miranda, uh, in the industry. And the idea around DEI advisors is there's a lot of really great groups that are working on helping with DEI uh, efforts within the hospitality industry. But one area that David saw that was missing was the ability to empower yourself, to, to take on learnings, to see what other people are doing and finding ways to for self-improvement. So DEI Advisors is all around empowering personal success. So we interview, um, as I mentioned, interview leaders, uh, industry leaders, and we are actually really excited. We are have over 60 interviews on our website, deiadvisors.org. And you can also find us on YouTube, on our LinkedIn page, and um, also Facebook. So that's DEI Advisors. The other thing I've been doing for a couple of years is how I met you, Miranda, was working on Castell at College, which is now a part of the AHLA Foundation. 
And that's where we bring panels of executive women to speak at hospitality programs around. Uh, it was the US to start. We've also been in Mexico. Uh, we're doing programs in Canada. We did our first program in the UK last fall. But uh, the idea is around two things. One is we find that young women, uh, there are a lot of young women actually in hospitality programs. So kudos to the hospitality programs for attracting so many women. But we also find that young women uh, don't aim high enough. They're not looking at careers uh, and, and aspirational careers. So we wanna show them different areas of the industry that there's so many opportunities within hospitality. Um, and also to show, you know, examples of successful women who have these big careers, but also families and personal lives. So, so we do that. Um, we've grown that program to over 60 programs um, for the last couple academic years. So that's the other hat I wear. And for anyone who's not familiar with Castellet College, it is just incredible. I've been fortunate to have panels in my classes every semester since I believe 2000 or 2020. Um, and I can tell you, it is probably the most impactful session of the entire semester. And I have graduates still contacting me saying, oh, this person I met on one of the panels helped me in this way or uh, opened this door for me. So it is just so valuable. I really applaud everything that that you and the team have done with that. Thank you. Thank you. And you've been such a tremendous supporter of ours, especially actually when we went into the pandemic and we all had to pivot and figure out how to do Zoom. And of course, educators had to figure that out first, I think, um, in terms of working with students. And so, Miranda, you were such a huge help to help guide us into how to do Zooms with the students and, and to pivot and go online. And that's been a big part of our, our growth in our program as well. So absolutely. My pleasure. Leon. Leon, on, on the DEI advisors website, one of the things that I saw was um, the terms advocate, networking, and mentorship. A lot of folks don't know what the differences are in those terms. Can you, can you break that down for us? the importance yeah. of networking and the difference of, of advocates versus mentors. Absolutely. I'd, I'd love to. So networking, you know, we, it seems like this really scary thing. Um, it's very intimidating. And I, I think most people envision when they think networking, you have to walk into a cocktail party in a room full of people that you don't know. And it's very intimidating, but what you find in the hospitality industry is one, we're really fun. And so most, almost everybody you meet in hospitality is actually really interesting to get to know. But that once you get into the industry a little bit, it is really more about building relationships and not so much the scary walking into a cocktail party uh, trauma that some people might think of. And so it is more about building relationships. And a lot of my great friends come from people that I've worked with or met through the industry. Um, so I think if you think about networking in that way as building relationships and, uh, and staying in touch and doing that in a way that is more natural, it becomes easier. Um, and I also find the other thing, it's really interesting. You might meet someone the first time, but the second time you meet them, it just is so much easier. Um, so keep keep at it if, if you're new at building your network. And then in terms of mentors and champions, um, you know, I think this is a concept I'd always heard about what a mentor was. Um, I think I could have been better at reaching out to ask for help, which would have been a great way to build mentors. Um, and so I think people are familiar with the idea of mentors coaching um, and giving you guidance. 
The idea of an advocate or sometimes called a champion is a little bit different. They're the person that usually will work within your company uh, or have influence like a client within your company, but who can speak for you when you're not in the room, right? That's the person who's going to say, hey, Leon did a great job on that project, or I know he's really terrific. Let's get him on this new project, which could really boost his career. So they're the person who was helping you get those opportunities, speak, speaking up for you when there are promotions and other, other things that come up that might benefit your career. So they really serve two different purposes, and they could be two different people. They might be the same person, but really important to have have both. And if you can have, um, you know, more than one champion or advocate, that's great. Um, the other thing I would say on mentors that I've learned along the way is not to limit yourself just to looking for mentors that look like you. So I came up in, in the real estate side of the hospitality industry and there weren't a lot of women. So I really struggled to find mentors. If I would have broadened my thought to say, who thinks like me, who do I really admire and want to learn more from, you know, it probably was a man, um, you know, for most of my career. And I, I should have been a little more thoughtful about that. So I would also encourage for people who are thinking about mentors and champions to broaden it to, you know, people in, in your network. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you make a good point, though. I mean, sometimes it's going to be a hetero white man because that's who's there and available. And they can be excellent advocates, mentors, and champions. Um, my mentor, the reason I'm here today, the reason I've met my husband, uh, is a hetero white male. So um, they can be excellent allies. And we always want them on our side. We don't want to alienate them at all. Absolutely. Um, so you and I had a really good conversation over coffee. I think it was two weeks ago. And we were talking about representation. Now on our show and uh, even just one-on-one, -on -one, Leon and I have talked extensively about the lack of black representation among general managers. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what I ask all of our guests, how many black general managers have you had in your industry career? Um, not enough. I think that would be, that would be the first answer. Um, but we did actually have a, a, a black woman um, who was the general manager of our property, the Marriott in St. Louis, which is a 900 room uh, convention center adjacent property um, and with Marriott. So, you know, there are some amazing uh, black general managers out there. Marriott's done a really good job. I know Hilton's really focused on it as well. So they, they are out there, but we need more. Yes. Mm -hmm like in many areas of our industry. So your answer is one. I think the max we've ever had is two. I think Maybe. that's right, two, yeah. I think it's yeah. two. Um, yeah. We have five properties, so. <laughs> <laughs> but let me ask you this. So uh, part of our conversation was the fact that there are so many Asian hospitality management students here in the United States uh, that graduate, just huge population, yet, we do not see a huge population of general managers or uh, C-suite level leadership. Um, we don't see a lot of Asians in this area, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I, I had this game that I was playing with some of my industry colleagues and I said, name one C-suite uh, person in our industry in a, in a major company that is Asian. And 
I, I couldn't think of one and neither could the people that I uh, was talking to. And so I decided to pull up a few statistics, right? Just to look at, if you think about the US population as 6% Asian, and if you look at hospitality graduates, it's you know seven and a half percent of them are Asian. And then I went and look at a, a ranking of hospitality schools and there's lots of different rankings, but in this particular ranking, I looked at the top five programs and within those programs, 14 and a half percent of the graduates are Asians. So when you look at that compared to where are the Asian leaders in our industry, that's that's part of the question that I've that I've had, because I know there is a, there is a group that is working on improving black representation in in schools, hospitality schools, but in other schools. Uh, but hospitality in, in general needs needs more black leaders and, and education is a great place to start that process. But what I was thinking about is that we've had a number of Asian graduates in hospitality, especially in, in top programs where there's a high percentage of them. And yet, even though this has been the case for many, many years, we're still not seeing them rise to the level of leadership. And so my question is, yes, education is an important part, but there are a few missing rungs right, that happen after you graduate, even from a top program where people are not making it to the top of our industry. So I was just recently at the graduate conference in California for hospitality management or hospitality and tourism students. Let me, pardon me. Um, and I asked one of the Asian faculty members just this question. And their response to me was that our Asian students are not as aggressively seeking leadership opportunities and that they need the support of their allies. And I thought to myself, my Asian students are excellent. They're like incredibly intelligent and self-motivated, determined. Uh, I can't think of an area in which they don't excel. So I, I don't know that I buy that they're not trying to get leadership positions. Well... I, I've done a little bit of reading about this in the last year, just because I've been interested in bias and and how to get ahead and leadership and all those pieces of it. And there are a few things I learned about that there are, people have studied this, people way smarter than me. Um, but but Asians do do have this idea of a modesty mandate where they are brought up in this culture where you don't put yourself forward. And it just isn't done within their family. So, you know, in, in the U.S. culture, at least, there, there is this other phenomenon called a humility penalty, where if you are more deferential, you're not going to talk yourself up, that that is something that might hold back Asians who, who've grown up with this mod modesty mandate. And there's this idea that you should put your, put your head down and do your work and you're going to get noticed. And that works great when you're in university and in school and you get good grades and everything is wonderful. But when you get to the working world, you realize performing is kind of table stakes. Everyone performs at some level, but the importance of things like image and exposure and building relationships and finding mentors and champions like we talked about all those things are so much more important than i think people realize and i know i certainly didn't realize that early in my career so if you know say i saw a chart once that said 
performance is 10% of what's needed for success and image and exposure is the other 90%, which seemed kind of alarming to me because I was working really hard. And maybe that percentage is not scientifically true, but if it is in some way true, if, if performance is 10% and I'm working lots of hours and, and really trying to excel, maybe I'm doing twice as good on performance. I'm now at 20%, right, of what's what's needed. So I think the other pieces of it, which is getting out there and building your image and, and, and getting exposure and walking around the office and talking to people and building relationships, right? I'd be in my office crunching numbers, thinking I was doing a great job. And the guys would be putting down the hallway of my office. And I'm thinking, oh, I look really good. I'm in here doing my work and they're goofing off, but they're building relationships out there, right? And so I think that perspective of what it takes to get ahead, it is so much more complex than just just getting your, your work done. Um, the other thing I've learned about is this idea of uh, Asians being go technically good, good at their job, good at the technical work, but not having leadership skills. And I don't, you know, perception can be reality for, for people, but I do find that there are moments where I felt, okay, if I'm doing a great job in my job, I'm not going to get put up for other opportunities because I'm doing such a good job. Why rock the boat? Right. So there is that idea as well of Asians maybe not having great leadership skills. And I tried to think of how many conversations I've had around leadership in my 30 year career. And I can't really recall a lot of them. So um, I think that's a piece of it, too. Maybe people just don't perceive Asians as as being great leaders. And um, maybe maybe we take more um, more coaching or more more, more help, but I, I do think there could be more opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. Wow! And you know, to to kind of blend that with my next our next conversation piece, the same holds true. Some of what you said for blacks in hospitality and blacks in in other career fields. Um, when you talked about you're you're there in your office with your head down working. And the guys are out there putting, right? I'm not a golfer. And right. so I wouldn't be interested in leaving the office to go out there and putt because the first thing I'd have to say is, tell me about this. How do you do it? How do you hold the club? How, how do you get involved? How, how do you do this, right? So I would be uncomfortable going out of my office to do that. One of the things that that I did in a mistake that I made in, in my career was I always tried to find people that had a similar interest to me in terms of the business. And I never shared some of my passions, some of the things that I like to do away from work. And I didn't try to learn and understand more about them. And had I done that, I would have those connected conversations that I could go to someone and say, you know what? I hear you're a squash player. Well, I coach racquetball. Oh, wow. Now we've got a connection, right? We've got something to talk about. Or I hear you're a big Georgia football fan. And I go, well, you know, I'm a TCU fan. Okay, so it didn't work out well for me last <laughs> night. But, you know, now we've got a laugh and we've got a, our conversation started, right? And so and for those things, for those that are listening to the show, for those that are watching, Len, share with us some of the things that you do away from work. What are some of your hobbies? What are some of your passions? And hope that someone watches the show, sees the show, listens and says, 
you know, Lan, you talked about you like this. So do I. And that could be the connection point for someone who's listening to the show or watching this podcast. Go ahead, please. Yeah, so I do a couple things aside from work. As, as Miranda mentioned, I have a lot of hats. But uh, one of the things that I love doing is I actually teach jazzercise, so dance aerobics, dance fitness. So I've been an instructor for about 12 years, and that kind of feeds my, my love of music. It also keeps me current on my music. Um, and so that's super fun. And then the other thing I took up at the beginning of 2022 was learning to play the drums, which I had put off for about 48 years. I'd been wanting to play the drums for a really long time. And no one I lived with ever thought that was a good idea. <laughs> um, can you believe it? And uh, so, so last year I decided, okay, this is the year I'm gonna finally do it. And drums are really hard. I'm still pretty bad but I can at least make sounds that don't sound too bad right now. Uh, but, but that's been a really fun thing to do as well. Fun and frustrating, but I've, I've really enjoyed doing that. So those are a couple of things that I do. And, and I just find, you know, that whole left brain, right brain thing, what I do with work as so much more thought based, but having something that is more grounded in music and movement is just really fun for me. What an Oh, good. Mean, you talk about drums. Mm -hmm. It was just like maybe five years ago that I recognized you had to use your ha your hands and your feet to be a successful drummer. When I sat down in front of my first yes, drum set, all, all you know, I'm like, what? What? You got to do this? Who knew? So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Go ahead, Miranda. No, I'm going to keep it on drums. I just want to say my little brother is a very, very accomplished drummer. Um, and thank goodness we have a seven year age difference because I was out of the house when he was getting into the drums. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear me practicing from outside the house. That's how bad it is. Um, yeah. Well, I'm sure it's going to get better. So, but I think that's awesome. I think that's such a great way to balance your life. So amazing. Good, good for you. Um, so one of the things that, I was talking to a colleague about in regards to Asian representation. Um, what would you say we could do to help? So people that look like me who do not face the same challenges necessarily because of systemic um, mm -hmm. processes and procedures, what can we do to help fix that? Or, or, or even just one, one step that we can take at an individual level. What can I go out and do today in your opinion? Well, I think part of it is helping Asian Americans pass that modesty mandate that they've grown up with, right? Because there's a little bit of deprogramming that you need to do if you're going to be successful in the U.S. business culture. So I think that's, that's part of it. And this idea of sitting in your office doing your work being what it's going to take to get ahead, it's so much more than that. I mean, I think you can get to about middle management by working really hard. If you want to progress beyond that, you need to start developing other skills uh, in terms of relating to people, developing mentors, developing multiple champions actually within your organization. That's really what it takes to, to elevate beyond middle management. And I, I think there's so much focus on learning the technical skills. And what I figured out along the way is that the technical skills become less and less important along the way. And it's really more about 
the soft skills. I, I don't know why we call them soft skills because they are really important skills, but it's more about those skills of relating to other people and building relationships and, and building, you know, champions really who will support you. That's really what they're going to need. And so they're going to have to step outside of their office. And um, even if you don't play golf and I tried and, and I'm like, I can't do that for four and a half hours, <laughs> but, um, and I have no hand-eye coordination. I can dance. I have no hand-eye coordination, but, but go outside and just start chatting with people who are putting in the hallway, right. To strike up a conversation. So I think that that pushing yourself to get outside of your comfort zone and to do those extra things that you're going to need to build those those skills to get past middle management is really important. So would you say that it's fair that um, in order to be a good ally, maybe put down the golf club for a second, go grab that colleague out of their office and bring them into the fold? Would that be? Um, um, or yeah, what? It, it would be great, but I don't always see that as, as, as happening. But as you're putting down and the other guy's putting and you're waiting for your turn, you can stick your head in the door and say, hey, how you doing? What are you working on? What's, you know, how was your weekend? What's, you know, what are you planning for this upcoming weekend? And just strike a conversation. I think that's a way to do it, too, just as you're casually there. Um, and then maybe bringing the other people in the conversation, Right. I don't think you're going to stop them putting, but I think you can find ways to integrate people into the conversation around, around that. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Leon, I know you want to ask it. I know you're dying to ask. Uh, yes, yes, I am. And, and it's time for it too. And <laughs> Lan, you're wondering, oh no, what's coming my yeah, way? Exactly. Yes, yes, what's coming my way? So here we go. First, I've been on a golf course one time. I played Hilton Head National in Hilton Head, South Carolina. First time ever, golf club in my hand. I go back. I bring it forward. I hear the sound. I give it the fake follow through. The ball goes 300 feet. Wow. 300 yards straight. Wow. Thank you very much. It took me 18 swings to hit the ball again. When we circled back to the ninth hole, which was at the clubhouse, I got a cart and some beer, and I became the designated driver. That's my <laughs> golf story. No more for me. <laughs> Here's the question. Let's talk about food. I love food. Have you had a Maryland crab cake? Oh, come on. Of course. Where, where did you get this Maryland crab cake? You know, living in Bethesda, Maryland, it's not that hard. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. That could, I, that could be a DC crab cake. No, no, no. We we no. get ours from we get ours from here. Actually, one of the things I've learned because I, I consider Maryland my home. It's my boomerang city. We we moved here and my husband and I moved here in '91, and we've moved away and come back several times. But I consider this home. Crab cakes are a big part of it. I I've learned to never order a crab cake outside of Maryland. I mean, yes. DC is okay because <laughs> you go to California and they make the crab cakes with the wrong crab. And, and, and they go, oh, it's a real Maryland crab cake. And I'm like, no, preach, it's not. preach, tell them, preach to them. Yes, <laughs> preach on. Yeah. So uh, when we moved to Atlanta, it was a little sad because we couldn't just go down the street and get a great crab cake. Uh, so my husband actually learned how to make crab cakes. We had to, you know, took a few recipes, but he's a great He's a great cook. And so he he figured out how to make them. But yeah, but now that now that we're back, we have them at least once a week. Um, and and the fish market near our house in Bethesda has great crab cakes. So 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a big staple of of, of what we eat. Yeah. So Love Leon, it. you found your people. <laughs> I found my people. Yes. I thought I you only people. asked people from Maryland that question. You ask everybody that question. I ask everybody that question. We had someone tell us they, yeah, I've had a Maryland crab cake. Where'd you get it? Oh, I was at so and so's barbecue joint in Kansas City. Shut up. <laughs> get him off the show. You can't no. stay on this show eating Kansas City crab cake. What are you no, talking no, about? No. Um, it's funny. I, I um, you know, Old Bay is such a big part of, of crab cakes. And, and this year they started, they had this great merchandising effort going on. So it, it was a it was an old bay Christmas. Um, my sister-in-law in Richmond, she got the oven mitt with the Old Bay logo. I've got the Old Bay ornament. My dog has a Old Bay um, bandana that she wears. So it's all about, it's all about Maryland. Nice. Right on. Right nice. on. Thank you for having a real Maryland crab cake. I appreciate <laughs> it. Miranda. So uh, Leon always asks about crab cakes. Uh, the one thing that I like to ask every guest is, what would you tell your 20 year old self? And it can only be one thing. It can only be one thing. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you the one thing. I just recently got asked this question. So I think the one thing I would do what would, would be to keep the serenity prayer on my desk. That's what I learned to do at my last job. I don't know if you remember what it is. It goes, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I would tell myself that you will drive yourself crazy if you try to take on everything. Um, it took me decades to figure out the difference. Um, I'm not sure I've really figured it out, to be honest. I'm still a work in progress. But I think that piece of choosing your battles and uh, knowing which things to try and fix and which things that you just got to let go and move on with life, I think that would uh, make it so much easier for me if I had figured that out earlier. That's very good advice. Thank you so much. Yes, Leon? absolutely. Thank you. Lan, thank you so much for spending time with us here at DEI. Checking in a DEI chat. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. It's been yeah. a pleasure talking with both of you. Great. Let's go back now to our studio host, Oren Stewart. Hey, Oren. How are you all? Such an amazing episode today. I'll tell you something. You all are starting off the new year on a good note. Really yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Thank you all once again for joining us here at Checking In, a Lodging DEI chat. I'm your studio host, Oren Stewart. We have an amazing year in store with great, great guests. You do not want to miss it. Take care. <laughs>